Hi, this is Daniel Brennan again, and this is uh, the podcast Wine is Food, and I'm here with Mark Krasnow. Say hello, Mark. Hello, everyone. Uh, so this podcast, as I said, this is episode two, as I said on episode one. Uh, what we're doing is talking to people sort of behind the scenes in the wine industry, winemakers, wine growers, viticulturalists, research people, uh, and even academics, which today we have somebody from Academi here. Yes, uh, well, it's nice to be here. It's good. Yes. And uh, we've intimidated him as much as we can by putting a tube ultra green, uh, Mike 200, uh, in front of him. See, it sounds complex, but all I need to do is keep my voice between minus 12 and minus 6. Very and tough. Smooth sailing. Very tough for an American. Uh, so I'm already in uh, my second episode, and I had to, to get a fellow uh, American. I try to stay with I never thought you'd make it this long, Jim. Yeah, exactly. I have, actually, I, you know, because of the magic of podcasting, I haven't actually even uploaded the other one yet. So we're, we're recording. So this could be a simultaneous release. with the, it's, uh, I think I might, I might drag it out just for sales, you know, even though it's a free podcast. It's true. No, no, no. You got to think, you got to think the long term. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so we'll, uh, we're going to talk a little bit to Mark. Uh, I'm going to put on some music, uh, at the end of this, like I did at the end of the first episode, uh, I just haven't decided yet what that's going to be, but I wanted to take advantage of grabbing Mark, and I'm probably going to grab one or two other people before Harvest hits here in New Zealand, and I uh, don't have much time left, and neither do the people that I want to talk to. So I haven't quite sorted out uh, the music yet, but every episode I'll be doing a little bit of independent music, a song from a friend, something something out there that uh, obviously ties in with uh, my former industry, my former career, uh, but my first passion, which is music. And, um, <clears throat> uh, but yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Right now, it's all about Mark Krasnow. So uh, we're going to go deep. We're going to talk uh, to Mark and figure out what's going this on. This couch is really comfortable, yeah, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, nice. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, I put this... This whole, you know... Well, I mean, the studio is so spacious, there's, you know, you could actually probably fit a couple more couches in, but, you know, I would in, in due need, course. I would actually course. need more than two microphones and the ability to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. Always that. always thinking pragmatically. So yeah, That's why right. that's why we love you, Be now. careful with the big words. Remember who our audience mm. is. They're probably drunk. <laughs> so, uh, this is kind of good because I actually, even though we've been friends for about a year and a half, year or just over a year or something? I've been no. here about a year and a half. Yeah, so a year and a half. I still uh, haven't gotten to where I would call us friends. Yes, yeah. okay. Acquaintances. Uh, I don't know that much about you, so these are going to be pretty good uh, questions. Uh, let's start off with, uh, where were you born? I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Oh, Okay. Rocky you Mountains. heard of it? Yeah, I, exactly. I, yes. Yeah, that's that <laughs> as was, made famous by John Denver. Yeah, that was uh, probably the standard thing. Oh, Rocky Mountains. No, and then moved to a city called Denver, as made famous by uh, John Denver. I've been to Aurora. Uh, okay, that's uh, technically where I lived. Oh, okay. Technically, yeah, see, little, I say Denver because no one knows what Aurora is. There was Aurora a little is. Deadhead club that uh, the band I managed for a while played. Uh, I couldn't tell you the name of it, but it might still be there. It probably is. Well, and I mean, um, Colorado Springs—that's—is that one of the universities? Or, no, there's a Air Force Academy there. My oh, pops, okay. My yeah, pops was, uh, okay. pops well, was that, in that the Air Force. Well, that counts as a school. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when the Air Force uh, football team plays. It's so family, there. any kind of background in farming, viticulture, anything no. like that? And then you did undergrad or that went to high school there and everything? And- uh, no, high school was in San Diego. Okay. So, yeah, moved to San Diego um, from Colorado. And then from there went to college in Davis, which has a wine program. They sure do. Yeah. So got uh, involved in that. Um, you know, wanted what to be was, a, wanted to be a winemaker at first. What was your? You went. I'm sorry. You went to undergrad San Diego. Uh, no, no, that was at Davis as well. Oh, Davis. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I thought I wanted to be a doctor all the way through college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, took the MCAT, applied for med school, did all that. And, uh, you know, I just thought, you know, I want to do this MD, PhD. It's like seven years. It's kind of a long commitment. Mm. So uh, I'll do this uh, wine thing because it's only two year master's program. And if I don't like it or, you know, whatever, it's good stories to tell sure, you know, sure. the guys around the operating table. And uh, so that would have been like kind of uh, you could have done those two years and then gone on and done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was sort of assuming that that's what would happen is, you know, I mean, I like drinking wine, but I didn't know damn thing about that wine. Um, So got into the program there and just, you know, you know, had already loved drinking wine, but really fell in love with the uh, the viticulture side, you know, like uh, wines, you know, at its basis, it's an extraction. You know, you take plants and you extract flavors out of them and you make a delicious beverage. I try to explain to people um, who think it's really cool. They're like, oh, you're a winemaker. And, you know, chemistry. I'm like, listen, there has been a few things that have gotten better in the last hundred years, refrigeration and, uh, you know, certain extraction techniques and filtering and things like that. But overall, we've made wine. Pre- we've been using sulfur for thousands of years. We make wine the same way for thousands yeah. of years. No, the way we do it now is a little bit less sort of diabolical. Yes. You know, the burning of the little sulfur cone inside the uh, barrel is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I've only seen it in France and it was insane because the whole cellar was just. But we, but viticulture, I think, is uh, certainly what I experience here in New Zealand. Uh, and I see, I saw some of it in Napa, which we're going to get to a little bit. This might go over 30 minutes cause I feel like we got a lot to talk about. Uh, <clears throat> but I, you know, you do, I've have seen, and from what I've read and everything that basically since the, I don't know, would you say mid eighties that there's been sort of leaps and bounds in the vineyard? Yeah, certainly, certainly. I mean, you know, and originally sort of the stuff before that was about production, maximizing production getting as many tons of grapes as you can with this kind of irrigation or that kind of irrigation or this trellis. Um, And then there was a sea change where it wasn't so much about volume as it was in in places like Napa. I mean, that that volume thing has never changed in in the Central Valley of California, for example. Um, But people in Napa, once they started getting notoriety, were really more focused on quality almost at you know definitely at the expense of volume Mm -hmm. and when you're talking about boutique wine it's super high premium prices because the volume is so limited Mm -hmm. i mean you know it's good wine it's you know no one's gonna no one's gonna fall screaming eagle but it costs so much because they make so little so little and they make it that intense yeah well all those type of things so getting back to you now though and it's okay. We can jump around and do whatever. Oh, no, I'm sure we will. I <laughs> tend to be scattered. But I'm going to try to. Uh, and we're drinking wine. Oh, yeah. So, so I'm going to try to keep uh, keep things a little bit informative and on, on some kind of uh, schedule. So 
you get into the Davis. Uh, you finish. You do, so you did two years there in the master's program. Is that uh, right? Yeah, that was the master's program. It was uh, enology, food science. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Uh, there wasn't a, a enology school, um, and then uh, switched to a PhD in plant biology. So I was really interested in the grapevine side, you know, specifically what's going on inside that berry, you mm-hmm. know, colors, flavors, you know, all of that, uh, all of that stuff going on. So I was really interested in that. So that's what my PhD focused on. It was berries. Was, it wasn't even berries. You berry take berries wine. and, you, no, it was berryless wine. <laughs> we were looking at cell cultures. So you can take cells and if you, give them sugar and you give them nutrients and just the right hormones, they'll just grow. Mm-hmm. They'll just divide and grow. And you just, uh, uh, they smell like grapes. They make the same chemicals as grapes. Um, and it's just a great way to grow grapes year round. Sounds like the end of the world to me. Uh, well, you know, or the extreme of winemaking, finally winemaking without all those viticulturists, uh, without all of that horrible dirt in the vineyard. No, I do like the, uh, that sort of, side of the industry where you see you know everybody has this like romantic view of it and everything and like sometimes you see something so oddly scientific that you're like this could be the end of the world right <laughs> this, this is uh, it could not, be I'm not sure this is a great idea mm. to, to but uh so then after you left davis you went um so i did a bit of teaching mm-hmm. uh and then went back to davis to do exclusively research mm-hmm. uh, did a postdoc there um but really always wanted to get back to the teaching and, uh, you know, always keeping a hand in research, always doing that. But, you know, the job of a postdoc is sort of that middle ground between professor and grad student. You're not supposed to stay there for long. You know, you get your publications and then you go get a teaching job or whatever. So, uh, you know, job came opened in Hawke's Bay. I had been to New Zealand before, um, had sort of dashed through Hawke's Bay on the way down to catch the ferry to the South Island. As most people do. <laughs> as pretty much everybody does. And honestly, it makes it you're, a wonderful place to live because people don't stop here. Yeah. Um, you you stop. Um, most people don't even. No, no, get, we stopped. You know. We had a little picnic. Uh, I didn't realize where it was at first. It was right by the airport there. <laughs> sort of. Uh, uh, out near Crab Farm Winery, out oh, in uh, nice. just shy of Bayview, and because like you could see Napier in the distance. Was it like um, Onikawa? You weren't by the warehouse. No, no, probably would have remembered that. So, yeah. Wow, this is not the New Zealand I expected. <laughs> Where are all the hobbits? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, so I ended up moving here about a year and a half ago. I uh, took a job at a school called EIT. Uh, where I teach viticulture, botany, plant fizz, and do research with the local industry. See that? Uh, when I was there, the viticulture department was in a bit of a flux. It was in flux. Yeah, it was in flux. And I think it's certainly settled down. I know the... Uh, uh, I'm a, I actually came in as viticulture and switched to wine science at EIT. Because there was no one to teach you viticulture? There was something like that. Yeah, I okay. didn't really want to A reasonable that. Uh, reason to switch, yeah. I'd say. Um but uh, I, I haven't had you as a lecturer, but I've heard good things. Yeah, but you've heard me talk about stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, but never one on one like this, Dan. <laughs> this is this, intense. This, this is, is this serious. is weird. Yeah. Um. So now you're at EIT and you're working on a because now I get to see you in the Hawks Bay magazine every week or every <laughs> month, doing your little thing on what your research project or that is 
directly related to your research project? Yeah, no, I mean, that is... I mean, so, so basically, we, we got money sort of from local industries and obviously buy-in from local people letting us use their vineyards and stuff. Um, we got some buy-in from the national uh, industry to sort of look into how things you do in the vineyard affect flavors in the wine, you know, because that's really what everybody's interested in. And for some reason in the past, in wine research, the grape guys studied the grapes, and their research ended when the grapes were picked, and the wine guys studied winemaking, and their research began when those grapes arrived at the winery. And very few of those sort of early pioneering vit and enology papers actually are vit and enology. Yep. They tended to focus on one or the other. It's, it's pretty amazing. And <laughs> it's so reductionist to look at wine as sort of grape production and then winemaking. It's not, man. It's No, it's one thing. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing. And so the fact that we're sort of proposing a study that, that looks – at the totality of it. That's you know, really you do this thing in the vineyard, you get this flavor in the wine, you know, or you don't get that flavor in the wine or whatever. The wine is different somehow. Yeah, and you may not, as a winemaker, you may not want or want that, but at least you can make the decision as opposed to... Yeah, and, no, and, we're and developing work, tools, man. That's yeah, all yeah. we do is we sort of look at if you do this thing in the vineyard, you hopefully uh, consistently get this flavor in the wine. Sure. If you want that, awesome. That's what you should do. Mm-hmm. If you don't want that, well, then do the opposite or do something else. You know, yeah. um, we're not telling people how to grow. We're just trying to look at the implications, flavor-wise and wine quality-wise, from what you do mm-hmm. from the very beginning, from when those buds burst, when that vine wakes up, to when those grapes get picked off that vine. Mm-hmm. Um. When. When um, you moved to New Zealand, so you said you passed through here, obviously you didn't get that much, but without getting way too into the entire country, let's just talk about Hawke's Bay. Okay. Uh, and something that I now, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you and put this down was uh, there were definitely times when I was in Napa that I thought, Oh, I can't wait to get back and talk to Mark about this <laughs> back to New Zealand. Yeah. And because, um, you know, I've been at tastings with you or, you know, we've been the two Americans and we sort of break some balls about, oh, this is some great California wine and everything. And really, I've had no association with California my whole life. And now that's that, true. You're yeah, an East Coast boy, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. You're like, like, man, that, yeah, that, like, that, that Pennsylvania like, wine, that yeah. stuff's awesome. Well, not even that, that shit I'd rocks. Be like, I'd be like, I just don't really want to stick up for california you know Uh, (laughs) yes that's how everybody feels before they visit but then but now that i've actually been there and did a harvest and uh i had my own uh experience and things to talk about because i never made wine outside of new zealand Mm -hmm. Uh, it's definitely different it's it's a totally different thing so um why don't you talk about you know, a couple of the basic things that you think are really just different uh, from, and then I'll just disagree or agree. With Between you. Napa and New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, well, Napa and Hawke's Bay. I think at the very least, it's... Okay, you know, yeah, you're not yeah. Gonna Sorry. Compare... Okay, no, no, no. Sorry, Napa yeah, and New Zealand. Because yeah. actually, we're talking about similar varieties. We're Nap- talking yeah, about Napa. whites being Chardonnay predominantly, although there's still plenty of Sauvignon Blanc, mm-hmm. and the reds being the Bordeaux reds. So mm-hmm. that's an apt comparison. Um, really different, though. I mean, winemaking style. So... Uh, Let's talk about Hawke's Bay first. 
um, very marginal place to grow some of these grapes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very similar to Bordeaux, you know, and Bordeaux is marginal when you look at sort of the um, way that the summer climate goes. You know, vines produce more sugar. They're more active when the temperatures are higher. And Bordeaux is a lot cooler than Napa. And uh, Hawke's Bay is a lot more similar to Bordeaux. So you've got this incredible influence because it's so tenuous. Because Sorry, because it's so borderline. I'm trying to use words that your your, your viewers will understand. Um, because well, it's well, so... Yeah, sorry, they're not even viewers, and and it's like, well, their ears are viewing. Yes. Um, the the climate is just so marginal, and so if you get a cool season like we're having right now, and like we had last season, you almost don't have a hope of ripening some of these varieties. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really don't. You know, I mean, you can harvest your Cabernet, but it is going to taste like bell peppers. Yeah. Um, it's going to taste like marinara sauce. Uh. And so you're constantly having to adjust to what the season gives you. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's going to be a cold season, you have to reduce crop. You'll never ripen what you have if you don't. You have to fully expose your grapes to the sun to try to get every ounce of heat in there so that those grapes develop. Um, there's rain in the summer here. That's a big problem. So it's a lot more difficult to grow grapes. You need a lot more sprays. So okay. <laughs> I can only speak to the last two seasons, which experts who have been here for 30 years tell me are the worst two seasons they've seen in the last 20 years. Um, so, yes, I possibly have a skewed perspective here. But uh, well, it's much that. more difficult. And I think even in a hot year, yeah. it's a much more difficult place no, to grow it grapes. it totally is. And I wouldn't say that it, it doesn't rain here. But, you know, the first three seasons I were here, it seemed like uh and probably a little more so in 08 but certainly 09 and what do we say 010 um we got a little of that scare in you know around now early march mid march <clears throat> and the whites would sort of have to come off and there'd be a little touch and go with that but then typically the autumn in hawks bay is just gorgeously dry yeah okay i've and, heard and of and this the, sort the of indian summer cool, yeah. and the nights will be cool but you'll get these hot days and and uh you'll and you just let the fruit hang and it's great and it's a slow development which is you know for arguably a better development but we'll talk about that well yeah i haven't even gotten to napa yet so Um, we'll talk about slow versus quick development um and uh you know that's what i've experienced i've experienced that with when i knew nothing and i was just trying to harvest some malbec to make on my own and when i was seeing other fruit come in and I, i was sort of not appreciating the nightmare of the winemakers that I was working for and just trying to learn. And I'm, you know, I'm, and now I appreciate it a lot more. Um, but then uh, I'll sort of segue into to Napa after being there and knowing nothing about it. I mean, obviously I tasted a lot of wines from there. Uh, th- my first real epiphany in Napa was I did all the vineyard sampling for the winery I worked for. So, and I, you know, they needed me to do that, but I also requested it because I like being in the vineyard, not all the time, but mm-hmm. I really like to be, have a good, uh, you know, appreciation for what's going on there. And I started, you know, we start, I started doing yeah, 18, 19 bricks. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was like, after a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm, 
I'm getting like 24, 25. Now, let me just, for people listening, if you get to 24 or 25 bricks in Hawks Bay, 25. It I, means I, that you've added sugar to your yeah, juice yeah, is yeah. what it means. No, I mean, I've definitely yeah. harvested I've heard of fruit. it. I've, I've heard harvested of it. fruit at 24 before. Yeah, I didn't a see lot, anything lot of stuff like at, that. A lot of stuff year. in the 23 to 24 range. But if mm-hmm. you get to 25, um, usually, um, you know, you're losing flavor at that point here. Uh, okay, can I throw happens. a guess in though? At twenty five bricks in Napa, they said, "Let's let it hang a little bit longer." Oh yeah, and I thought, and because the conversations to me were, "Oh, it's going to be weeks before we harvest, or another couple weeks before we do this vineyard," and I'm looking at, it, I'm like, twenty five. The pH is like three eight, three mm-hmm. nine. It's a different winemaking. I mean, we won't even talk about the winemaking, but the but, viticulture in California is very different. But the difference was. Uh, the flavors were like it wasn't until I started picking berries off and tasting them and going, Oh my God, this isn't ripe. This doesn't taste like it's ready. And you only, I only knew that from, you know, picking berries and eating them off when I'm working in other vineyards in, in New Zealand. I'm like, we have, we are like literally the exact opposite where we get flavor. We can get flavor, ripe But not sugar, ripe, And they get sugar, ripe But not flavor, ripe. So it's a bit of a dance, but, uh, Better or worse? I don't know. I mean, what do you... It's a matter of taste. I mean, I certainly won't say better or worse. I mean, these Hawks Bay wines with a much higher acidity, um, not quite as ripe flavor, so not sort of that blackberry jam. You're talking more cherries, plums, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're much better with food. Mm -hmm. But I love me some nice big... California I mean, cab, you know, 15.5 alcohol, 3.8, pH. Actually, I love that stuff. That was I mean, the first I love epiphany it. when uh, the winemakers I work for gave me <clears throat> some of the wine from their own uh, label and then some from the winery's label. And I'm, I'm telling you, I could barely drink it. I would like, uh, you know, I had never really grew up drinking that much California wine. I always drank old world wines being from the East Coast. Got into California wines like the couple years before I left, but arguably then I was just a alcoholic working in a, <laughs> it's in a like, restaurant. what's the highest alcohol <laughs> wine that you have? And so, I mean, I was tasting Syrah that was like 15, five and Cabernet, yeah. which you're shaking your head. Like, absolutely. No, yeah, I mean not, all the time. Not, yeah, not honestly, that stuff very possibly was watered it took back me a good, to only be 15, a five. good month for my palate to adjust to like, get, and then I of course adjusted like a grown man should mm-hmm. to that alcohol. <laughs> And I started tasting it and understanding it a lot more and, and getting into it. But uh, when you talk about food, I mean, I, I just can't imagine anything but a giant steak with it. It was mm-hmm. like, it's, it's like. No, that's the go to pairing. And honestly, beyond that, it gets really hard. Mm. Um, the, the California Chardonnay with that super buttery is a little bit easier. Um, but that's a different animal. And we're talking about red wines here. Yeah. Um, California is, is a very interesting case because. really doesn't i mean and granted i think the last two seasons i've been gone have been very atypical very cool somewhat rainy summers but mostly in cal no 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 in california since i left yes um but mostly in california you can count on pretty much no rain yeah i mean 
a centimeter of rain. Sorry, half an even, inch of rain. Even this um, year where they were like, oh, this is going to be a tough year. No, I mean, tough thing, year so they only get to 26 bricks. It I was, mean, it was like they were uh, when I left, they're like, you so you were so great and such a tough year. I was like, you guys got it so yeah. easy. You OK, know? so I mean, and that's really that's something I didn't appreciate when I lived in California is it's a reason. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from what they do. But as far as a place to grow grapes, it's there are much harder places out there. Yeah. Well, I thought the one thing uh, walking around that I thought that struck me that I didn't expect was uh, certainly on the Silverado Trail how dry the soils were up there. Which yeah. Well, I mean, when you get up onto those hills, there's no soil, and it yeah. dry- excuse it me. was. <clears throat> that's all right. What are you gonna sneeze? I was just getting all choked up. No, I was gonna, just <laughs> gonna sneeze and then throw you're, up. You're thinking about the Silverado. Trail. Yeah, I do oh, love the Silverado. Oh, trail. I mean, it's just that that, that is so that's rough. definitely the side of the valley that I prefer. But um, <clears throat> it's yeah. it's a very different place to grow grapes. So there, you can hang grapes as long as you want. You can let them essentially turn into raisins and make wine from that. Um. You lose the acidity in the wine, but you're allowed to add acid back in the winery. Yeah. Sometimes the sugar, by the time those flavors are right, by the time those flavors are what you want to sort of capture in your beverage, sometimes there's too much sugar and those yeast will pickle themselves and die before the fermentation's finished. Yeah. So sometimes you have to pull some juice off that has sugar and add water back to get it to a sugar level that the yeast will actually finish that fermentation. Um, all of the, or you ferment with very high alcohol and you, you know, have to do reverse osmosis. I mean, there's all kinds of tricks yeah. um, to get those flavors into that wine at the right alcohol. And uh, I mean, I love those wines, you know, you can say, yes, you have to do a lot to get them. Um, but well, they're delicious wines. It ought to be interesting. Cause uh, certainly, and, and again, we're talking about two different worlds, but certainly the last two years in Napa, we've seen, you know, marginal years, which ought to be interesting because uh, Parker's now not doing Napa, which is another thing. You know, I obviously am in the, the wine business as well. And, uh, y- you know, coming from you know, where I sell my wine in the U.S., uh, I never think about Parker ratings or anything like that. I mean, it's enough to be a different product from New Zealand, and I try to market myself and things like that. But it's a, <clears throat> I, I had known about it. I had seen it for years, but until I was I would actually, recommend radio as far as marketing yeah. yourself. Yes. Though. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, what about I podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, anything audio as far as opposed to say, terrestrial radio. Terrestrial yeah. radio is dead, man. <laughs> when was the last time you flicked on the FM radio and uh, listened? Oh, it's come on. Rough. I've. Yeah, I've listened to the radio a lot. I haven't heard any DJs. Sirius XM is probably what you're yeah. listening to. <laughs> um, but uh, I, being in the industry there and seeing how much they say, oh, well, you know, Parker rated this one as that, and he really likes the style. And it was certainly uh, part of the industry for so long. And, you know, if you get Yeah, a- well, and it's not just Parker. I mean, you've got the Wine Spectator. Um, but... He's done now, but he's done now. So there's like Scalani or some kind of guy. Well, I mean, there's a million different critics. You know, you pick your critic. Um, It's unfortunate that they have as much sort of power as they do. But if they give your wine a certain number, you know, 
mid nineties and your wine is not seven hundred dollars a bottle, it's gone. You'll sell every <laughs> bottle that you have of it. Yeah. Every bottle. Hmm. If they give you a ninety nine or a one hundred, doesn't matter what you're asking for the price, you'll sell all of it. Yeah. So of course you're shooting for that. I mean, that's a way of totally. ensuring selling out. Um, and that has sort of driven the California style. Very ripe, very extracted, very dense, very high alcohol. Yeah. I mean, I I happen to love those wines. I'm really angry that this, you know these uh, critics like them. Because I made the price go way the yeah, hell that's up. that's true. You know, yeah, if the yeah, critics yeah. said, no, this is too opulent, it's unbalanced, whatever, then they become affordable to me. But unfortunately, they, you know, I mean, these wines are, yeah. even the basic Napa Cab is I think 70 only, bucks, yeah. 80 bucks. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you might be able to get a vineyard blend of cabs for 40 or Yeah, 50, well, and I mean, you know, there's, there's, some great, there's some guys doing great business now buying sort of bulk wine and you know bulk wine has this horrible connotation but really nice napa cab mm. blending it together and selling it for 30 dollars a yeah. bottle i uh yeah it's it's just an, i think again going back to what i was saying before the biggest problem i had with it was the alcohol i mean mm. that was probably the t like certainly the flavors i mean i don't know i personally have a little bit of a sweet tooth and uh, not to say that I want sugar in my wine. That's uh, totally not what I'm saying. All well, I'm no, saying, they don't have sugar. Not, I'm, saying, not or, much, I'm saying around but they have riper, those flavors of you know, sweet things. And, um, you know, I, but I think the alcohol makes it pretty tough sometimes. Mm. I, I, I totally agree. I, you know, my palate did adjust and, and I like them. And, um, uh, but, you know, one of the reasons why I came to Hawks Bay was because we can do so many different things here and, you know, some people who have been here, I've heard them say, well, it's a little more like Sonoma and that you, you can do. But I really never got a handle on Sonoma. I wasn't over there quite as much. I just kind of felt like I it's couldn't. not like Sonoma. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't identify with Sonoma because I just felt like there were so many different parts of it and it's so much bigger. Well, that's true. I mean, Sonoma, to call Sonoma Sonoma, you can't shoehorn yeah. it in. Napa's really small. Napa's uh, easier to classify into one category. Sonoma's different, but honestly, Hawks Bay is nothing like either place. I mean, it doesn't rain in Sonoma in the summer either. Yeah. It gets hot in the summer in Sonoma too. Like hot, you know, here, hot is sort of 90 degrees. Yeah. Not Napa, not Sonoma, and no. certainly not Davis. It's much, much warmer. Yeah. And it doesn't rain. So you have this potential to sort of control the vine with how much water you give it. Yeah. It's awesome. It's great. It means a lot of people have focused on irrigation in California. That and scarce water and having to pay for water. Or not being able to get water and having to store it all during the winter for what you got to do during the summer. I saw um, a bit of that. I could go up on the... Yeah, well, and, I mean, this winter it hasn't rained and people there are shitting because oh. they got no water in their reservoir. They got no water for irrigation. They got no water for frost protection. So they so sent all the rain to us. They sent all the rain here, yes. <laughs> I got more sun in California in the winter than I got in Hawks Bay during the summer. Um, here, there hasn't been that focus. I mean, here it's really... Um, well, I mean, the industry is just totally different here. I mean, I would say uh, Hawks Bay being a little bit 
on the redder side of things, but certainly whites in New Zealand overall mm-hmm. is just a greater focus. Well, I mean, um, you ask anyone a, around the world what wines is New Zealand famous for, no one says reds. No. I mean, these days maybe someone will be talking about pinots. Yeah. But, I mean, no one still, when you talk about New Zealand reds, will say, oh, yeah, Merlot. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Or, oh, yeah, Syrah. Well, I always no. say about, um, you know, I say to... To, as far as uh, you know, Hawks Bay. What are people think of Hawks Bay Reds? Even Syrah, uh, Merlot, Cab Sav blends, uh, things like that. That I think it's more of a domestic, maybe Australian market. But there's really there's a very very niche market in the states that say, oh yeah, we want that wine. But overall, they're looking for you know if they're looking for Reds from New Zealand, it's Pinots because they're yeah. But man, I'm know, telling you, if some of these Hawks Bay Reds. If Americans got to try them, and not the ones that have been made the last two seasons, but some of the ones I've tried from previous seasons, they are awesome wines, man. Uh, The problem is this place ain't that big. Well, Um, that's where I come in, and this is where I do my little pitch now. Wow, did I I so set that up? Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, he did not pay me for that (laughs) yet. Um, So this is obviously a free podcast, but I do have to mention that... uh, we do make a little Malbec under the decibel label, uh, but still, the you know, the sort of uh, flagship bread and butter is our Sauvignon Blanc, so uh, it kind of goes in line with that. Now, Malbec here is uh, a little bit different, and that, that's my little spinoff and little representation of Hawks Bay Reds and, and doing a varietal that I think is um, obviously really popular in the States and things like that, but uh, I think it's a really cool representation of what reds can do here now if i thought i could bring a merlot in i I probably would but i think there's a lot of great merlot out there every region kind of does merlot pretty well or at least red region so uh that's my little pitch for decibelwines.com go check it out uh what else what what else i gotta plug uh i don't know yeah i feel dirty now at decibel dan on my twitter account i gotta do that now i feel dirty uh, decibel wines on facebook okay so don't feel so dirty are you done all right come on man something's got to pay for this shit you know what i mean i can't well when's my paycheck coming (laughs) i assume there'll be a case of delicious decibel wines your paycheck will come when some chick walks up to you and it's just like are you the Mark Krasnow from the Wine is Food podcast? Uh, that's true. That's, true. <laughs> that's when right, you're a paycheck. Yes. This is like, you know. Can I have some actual money until then and then I'll pay you back when that happens? You know that's not how I work. You know what I mean? Come on, man. This is <laughs> this is real radio. Uh, yeah, right. Terrestrial this, radio. This is real radio. It's it, it, Nobody makes money. Um, all right. I just did have a few other questions for you. You mentioned Bordeaux earlier. Yeah. What other regions... Have you been to experience like, and I'm talking about Oregon, Washington, any of those, anything, Bordeaux, France, Italy, where else have you been? I actually don't know where you've traveled or. or Uh, Well, I've been around quite a few places and I've enjoyed most of them. Um, I mean, as far as wine, I've been to sort of the Iberian, haven't done Mexican wine. (laughs) I did a tequila tasting. See, that was one of the best things about Davis is there's this sensory department and they have tastings for all kinds of crazy shit. Sweet. You know, they've got grad students studying this and that, and you just go in, yeah, like here, you know, here's 15 tequilas. You know, we want you to rate them on these characteristics, but you get to try 15 tequilas. I'd be like, 
Agave? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's gob- really agave. It's agave. Totally, totally. Yeah, I'm getting that. I'm getting that agave. Sorry, so you were saying... Uh, where, where sorry, else? I forgot where we were going. Where, where else, what other regions? Oh, I've uh, been to South America, so Chile, Argentina. Okay. Um, uh, Italy, France, Germany. Um, I mean, I love... Everywhere I've been in Europe has just been fantastic. It's just so cool. Really this really rich culture. Well, it's just... They're so aware of like other cultures because mm-hmm. you drive for one hour and you're in another country. Mm-hmm. Um, and being an American and I assume being a Kiwi, it's very different. Yeah. You know, the well, growing up in San Diego, maybe it's not that different. But uh, it's just it's just such a cool place. I mean, I just love it. The, the food there is fantastic. Wine there is fantastic. Wine's part of the meal. I don't know what yeah, happens. You should mention that. I don't, yeah, wine, wine, is, wine food. is food. Yeah, okay. I don't know what happens in America where wine became this sort of thing that people could be all, for lack of a better word, douchey about, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not supposed to be that. Wine has flavors. <laughs> wine has textures just like food, and it's supposed to be a part of a meal. I think part of it might be, uh, and it's, again, for better or for worse, it could be that we have focused on the single varietal and we market it in a different way and we do, you know, and not to say that that doesn't happen in Europe. I mean, you know, if you look at something like Prosecco, for instance, that is like, it's like a cocktail wine almost too. You know what I mean? At, at least my experience being mm-hmm. in Italy, that's the way it was. But, uh, you know, the U.S. and a good part of the New World has really and it's probably a good reason why new zealand's been really successful is single varietal fruity wines wines that jump out of the glass and uh you know that's certainly the Sauvignon blanc marlboro style and uh, yeah but i mean that wine goes really well if you pair it with the right food fish and chips yeah i mean not fish and chips (laughs) fish yes chips maybe not so much um but uh, you know, and I mean, any wine it, it can be delicious or can be crap depending on what you pair it with. Sure. Now, what about um, you mentioned South America? Is that just I haven't been there yet? Uh, I really you, want you want me to go? You want me to go talk about Malbec? Well, not not necessarily. Yeah. I was just actually wondering more about the industry. I just heard it's like massive. Uh, well, down there. I mean, I went there totally as a wine tourist, mm-hmm. so I have no idea. I mean, we got tours of wineries and stuff. Um, yeah, but I mean, you've been around wineries and vineyards enough to know. Uh, my question is more like I've just heard that the industry is pretty massive, like in that there's enormous, I don't know, chateaus, the word. They yeah, use, I mean, you don't have the mom and pop winery in yeah. Argentina because no, you don't start a winery in Argentina unless you have shit tons of money. Yeah. So, um, no, no, no. It's definitely that way. Uh, and really nice wineries. I mean, you know, the technology for winemaking, no matter where you go in the world, is pretty top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you know, I'm a little biased here, but really what separates be, uh, wines is the grapes, mm-hmm. you know, and that is sort of part of the place where they're grown it and should. how they're grown. It of should. course, yeah, of yeah. course. It should. I mean, that's probably the most exciting thing about making a wine in New Zealand and bringing it back to friends in Philly is like, you know, you're tasting what like was made there and what comes from there what makes it that unique and, and yeah you know, well i mean the thing that new zealand needs and i don't know how to how to get it is 
a sort of New Zealandness about their wine. I mean, as it is now, when you're talking about the reds from here, you say, oh, yeah, it's like Bordeaux. Yeah, I agree. But it's like Bordeaux. It's not its own thing. I've and I don't know a, if there's a – I don't know how you market that. I don't know. I'm not a marketing guy. But, I mean, well, the wines here are very distinctive. I think, you know, we. it's so young, the industry. But, yeah. the, you know, at least the – I think when people say Marlboro Sauv Blanc, they that is mm. its own thing. Uh, Jeff from um, uh, Gibble Gravels, Jeff Gibble Gravels yeah. Association, Jeff. He's he's really I've been to tastings with him and stuff, and and he's you know pushing to not say it's a Bordeaux. Blend yeah, and I've heard that, and I've heard that. And, I think and honestly, good, I I kind of agree with it's that. It's a it's a Hawks Bay blend, but I mean, yeah, but. <laughs> What? You can't call it a Hogs Bay blend no, because no. the French are going to kill you. They're going to yeah. crucify you for that. Yeah. They're going to say, no, those are all Bordeaux grapes. Well, no, because, like, for instance, you know, Unison's got Syrah in some of their blends, and I've seen other, other vineyards okay. put Syrah in there. Okay, now um, that I would call the Hawks Bay blend. That's the quintology. That's yeah. sort of the twist. Yeah, yeah. There's some of that clearly in Talisman. Malcolm won't tell me what the makeup is, but oh, I'm oh, quite oh, sure oh, there's some I Syrah love all in that there. Secretness, well, you know, I mean, you, it's non disclosure agreement, is what it's too. called. They don't, because you have to put your percentages on for the U.S. market. And they're like, mm. no, we're not doing it. Well, saying, then we won't sell in the U.S. Like, well, nobody's like really can copy that. <laughs> it's well, it's still, you can put those percentage of grapes in, it's not going to taste the same. Exactly. Well, maybe you can with all the research and that. Well, you know, that, if you were using cell, cell cultures instead cell of grapes, cultures. then absolutely. I mean, they're super samey. But. All right, I think that's a good place to end. Okay, uh, like we'll bring it around full circle. And uh, thanks for coming in. And uh, well, thanks I for think, having me into your spacious uh, recording studio. This is, you know, it was really and lucky, and though. your secretary. It was really made lucky. me a cup of coffee earlier. It's She's quite great, comely. isn't she? Yeah, she, yeah, She's she was not hot. A bad looker actually. too. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, you know. Uh, it's been great. Decibel Wines has been able to, you know, build me this studio, and uh, it's just fantastic. I really appreciate yeah, that. Well, what they, I mean, and yeah, what they've done for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and it's it's delicious wine. Great. It speaks for itself. <laughs> it feels so dirty. All right, I'm gonna uh, stop it there. Mark, thanks for doing this, and yeah, uh, no I want to talk to you again after I do a second harvest in Napa. Okay. Right. Cheers, good. man. Thanks. Hey, this is Daniel again. Um, just wanted to say I ended up uh, not putting any music on the end of this podcast. Um, had some ideas, but I think I needed to work out the rights for them and everything. Really just want to focus on some indie music. So if anybody has any and you want to send them my way, uh, please email them to wineisfood at gmail.com and I'll take a listen and we'll go from there. Um, yeah, and of course, any other questions, send to wineisfood at gmail.com. Amidst a crazy harvest here in Hawks Bay, and um, can't wait to tell you guys all about it with our next guest uh, coming up soon. Thanks.